Hey, what's going on all you fiction peddlers out there? Today's show is brought to you by our dear friends over at the Lucky Guy Bakery. They are bringing you delicious handmade brownies from the freshest, all-natural ingredients right to your door. I can't say enough good things about the Lucky Guy Bakery. I love their product. I love the, the lady behind the product. They're fans of the show. It's a small business run by a liberty-minded entrepreneur bringing you just delicious brownies. They're not too sweet. They're not too salty. They're just, they're just chocolatey and delicious. And then of course they have these like cookie brownies. They're oatmeal and uh, peanut butter and uh, a blondie. They've got brownies for vegans or for people who have a gluten allergy. So go check them out at the Lucky Guy Bakery. Use my promo code PF20 so they know I sent you. You'll get 20% off your order. That's P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 20 from the Lucky Guy Bakery for 20% off your order. Support the show, support our awesome sponsors, and get yourself something delicious to round out that perfect dinner. The LuckyGuyBakery.com, promo code PF20. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone's doing well today. I am very excited for today's episode. As you can tell by the video, I have a special guest that I'm going to bring on here in just a minute after I take care of a few administrative things, I suppose. the Well, I guess for all of you um, new listeners out there not familiar with the show, we talk about politics, current events, and economics from a libertarian and cap point of view. And um, oh, this Friday is our bi-weekly happy hour that we do for all of our supporting listeners. So what that is, is anybody who supports this show monetarily by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and setting up a monthly recurring donation, I invite you to throw back a few cocktails with me every other Friday. And we're going to start at 7.15 Central Standard Time this Friday. So don't forget about that. It's it's really a lot of fun. I, I started looking forward to these a lot more than I actually thought I was going to. No offense to you guys. But we have a great little group of, of people that, that uh, chime in every couple of weeks. And, um, oh, the other thing is you can join the, the private Facebook group by finding Peddling Fiction Podcast on Facebook. There's a private page and a public page. The private one is what you want to get into. And if you're one of the top 10 contributors for the month, I will invite you to the following um, happy hour that we do. And that's going to be this Friday. So we're also going to have the top 10 private Facebook group contributors. Yeah, the private Facebook group top 10 contributors will be joining us as well. 
And if that's something you, you'd like to be a part of, like I said, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, set up a recurring monthly donation for whatever de- denomination you want. As long as you keep those dollars flowing in here to help keep the lights on and fund our advertising and increase our reach. I will make sure that the whiskey is flowing over here on my end. And we set it up so that you can watch the sunset here with me, which is always, almost always a perfect sunset. Uh, yesterday's was, oh no, two days ago was, was uh, kind of shitty because it got really cloudy. But other than that, you know, we've had great sunsets. It's a really good time. And uh, yeah, you're, you're missing out if you're not um, A, part of the uh, private Facebook group and be part of the happy hour uh, Friday, Friday night, happy hour extravaganza or whatever the fuck we want to call it. I don't know if somebody's supposed to come up with a better name for it, but anyway, I think that's about it on the, uh, the home front that I have to report. Um, so yeah, without further ado, uh, let's get into our guest who I am very excited to talk to today. I, I've been looking forward to this for a while. And then of course the timing is just perfect because, you know, you have all this COVID uh, vaccine passport horseshit going around. So um, just perfect timing for for him to come on the show. I'm really excited to welcome on Sal, the agorist Mayweather. I know him from Twitter. Um, I've been following his Twitter account for uh, probably since I was on Twitter. I don't know how I found him, but I did. And I've probably stolen, you know, hundreds or thousands of his memes over the years. So uh, it, it's a really cool uh, Twitter account. He's a, he's a really uh, interesting and fun guy. So without further ado, here is Sal, the agorist. What's going on, man? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So you are an agorist. Yes. You are Sal, the agorist Mayweather. <laughs> and That's I, what they call me. <laughs> all right. See, I only know you from Twitter, which is a great Twitter account. And uh, I figured I'd, I've stolen enough of your memes. The least I could do is have you on the show. But uh, what for those of people out there that are not familiar with uh, agorism, what the hell is that? And how do you become one? Hmm. Well, agorism, to me, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. I think the easiest way of understanding it is, is just that it's a it's like a unique type of entrepreneurship that focuses on not only making profits but also disruption right so like normal entrepreneurs like their only uh job in life is to seek profit we that's cool we're, we're down with that but we're also we're trying to get profit and we're also trying to uh disrupt um the political class while we do while we do it now how can you become one there's like a lot of different ways to get involved in agorism and we can get into like some of the theory and stuff behind it. But like the easiest way that I tell people is just I try to break it down and tell them, grow your own food, become your own bank and get a 3D printer. If you can do those three things, you're going to be better off than 95% of the population when shit hits the fan, which I think is is an inevitability. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you sort of take the path down this road toward agorism? Agorism. Oh man, I got I lucky with the Chicago I, accent. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I speak with my New York accent, but I um I got really lucky because when I first found like the libertarian movement, I found Ron Paul, and what really impressed me was his economics. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me look up who's who this guy's economic advisors are, and I found Walter Block and Peter Schiff, and they were they were explaining you know business cycle theory and that whole stuff, and I I all I had I had already been introduced to um, Bitcoin at that point. This is like 2013 or something like that. And uh, I sort of put everything together and I got involved in cryptocurrency really early, which was 
useful and helpful. And then I went to um, Porkfest in like 2015, 2014. And that really just sort of, that was like a sort of big experience for me because everyone was like using cryptocurrency to like trade or like little silver coins. Like there was a vending machine where you could like buy like bullets and birth control and like LSD and like all kinds of crazy shit. And I was like, you know what? This is great. <laughs> this is this is what I've been looking for. And I realized later that that was called agorism. So I looked it up. And once I looked it up, I, I, I realized that Konkin had this entire, he basically had made Rothbard's philosophy logically consistent. And to me, that was like, it was just like this aha moment. And I realized what I was doing. And I realized what Konkin was talking about and how everything just lined up perfectly. I was like, you know, this is this is the the correct description of reality, and that's when I just sort of started promoting it online, and my following grew and grew and grew, and here we are today. Yeah, and and so, do you have to live on like a farm in the middle of nowhere to to be able to do this, or can you no. do it in like a big city? Yeah, well, it's actually there's more counter economic opportunities in the big city, right? Because that's where the laws are. So that so there's more laws, there's more ways to break them and profit off of them. Uh, in those areas. There are agorists. There's basically two paths that I see agorists going down. It's like one is the rural homestead life. Um, there's a lot of agorists like Nicole Sauce and Shane Radliff who, who who prefer to live that lifestyle. Then there's other agorists who live like a more like vagabond, digital nomad sort of lifestyle, whereas like they're sort of like travelers and stuff like that. And like you got Derek Bros, and I probably may even throw myself into that category and some other people. Um, but yeah, there's like, wherever there's laws, there's agorism. And, and what's, so what are the, like the main laws that you try to disrupt with, uh, with your practice of it? Yeah. Um, well, basically all of them, um, there aren't any good laws, obviously. So I'm, I'm going after all of them right now. I, uh, I, my company agoristics, the whole, the whole purpose of agoristics is to, try to facilitate um, the exchange of cryptocurrency, try to make it easier for people to like buy and sell the, the normal everyday goods and services that they might want, but for cryptocurrency. Because right now that's sort of a major problem with mass adoption. Like it's not that easy to go out and, and you know buy a cell phone with Bitcoin today or, or something like that. So the goal is to try to grow and grow and try to provide more and more stuff for um, cryptocurrency. The other thing that we're doing is at 3D Printer Go Burr is we're sort of taking the non-KYC aspect of cryptocurrency and we're applying it to 3D printers. So like we see the government starting to talk about like maybe an executive order on 3D printed guns. So what we're doing is we're saying, okay, you know what, you, you can buy 3D printers, but rather than using like a, a third party intermediary like Visa or a bank or PayPal to, you know, purchase that printer from Amazon or, or you know, some company, well, you can buy them from us for cryptocurrency and you don't have to use one of these third party intermediaries who require, you know, photo ID and like all sorts of stuff. So now you can basically buy all the stuff you need to make a gun and no one uh, you, you can do it in a way that's sort of untraceable. I love it. I love it. So you're basically setting up your own black markets. We're basically running guns, but legally. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, what's going on with the, uh, I don't want to quite jump into this topic yet, but as far as like um, these like uh, positive or negative COVID tests and anything like that, is there a market, an underground market for those too? 
Yeah, absolutely. They're already selling them. Uh, Derek Bros down in Mexico was telling me he he knew a guy who was who was hawking them down there. But um, now they're like it's very simple. Uh, you know, of course they might digitize this and it might change depending on what what the White House does and stuff. But like right now, if you go into I think it's um, the state of Wyoming has like a, a blank form available for download, and then you see all the idiots posting their. Uh, vaccine cards. So you just take the vaccine ID number, if it's Moderna or what's the other one, AstraZeneca, and you just write them down and then boom, you have your own fresh vaccine card. You don't have to buy it at this point. But there are people selling them, of course, with the proper, like, it's the exact same kind of, uh, what's the, the, the same card stock that they're using. Okay. So like, yeah, they basically can't tell the difference. They do have to be careful because if it has that CDC seal, they can get you for like impersonating a government official. So you have to be careful about the way you design it. Yeah. Yeah. It, who did you say was down here in Mexico? Derek Rose. Where, where is he? Specifically? Um, he's over by um, Acapulco. He's in like this little city right next to Acapulco. There's a lot of agorists down there. So is Lily Forest. Is that where you are? Or uh, I'm in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I've been, yeah, I've been down here since basically since last July, as soon as they sort of opened Mexico back up in June, I, I just shot down here cause I was not going to be sitting around Chicago for the fucking winter, but locked uh, up in like, in like under lockdown. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're still like, I mean, they're kind of open, but it's, you know, it's freezing cold there. It's snowing and it's Almost beautiful local, here. <laughs> but yeah. A- Acapulco is like a big, um, just sort of anarchist destination, I think, in general. They had the, um, did you go to Anarchapulco a couple of weeks no, ago? No, I was supposed to go to Agorapulco and Anarchapulco, but I, I, I didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, I had plans to go as well, but they sort of fell through. I didn't know about the uh, Agora one uh, until like earlier today when I was talking to somebody that was at Anarchapulco. Oh, yeah, right. And they'd actually invited me to come speak, but um, it was too difficult to get over there and like, timing wasn't like i had some stuff to do around here it didn't work out so yeah yeah um well so <laughs> i think i already know the answer to this but what is your whole take on the the covid vaccine passport the vaccine in general give me your thoughts on that i think covid in itself i'm not i i mean i know this sounds sort of conspiratorial but i don't even think it's real at this point i think that it's been manufactured by the state as an excuse for um I think basically they're looking for excuses to print money. So now they can say, well, your businesses are shut down and you can't work and everybody's broke. But thankfully for us, we're going to print a bunch of money and, and just, you know, drop it like helicopter money is what they're doing. This is what Milton Friedman predicted. But like, it's just a big excuse really is what it is for me. It's just, it just allows them, they create these monsters, these imaginary monsters for everybody to fear. And then they use them as excuses to justify all this tyrannical action. And part of that is this vaccine. Like, I don't even think that they're vaccinating you against something. So we, anybody like who has a cursory understanding of history knows that this is all bullshit, right? Last time they, they were vaccinating people in Tuskegee, like recall that they gave everybody syphilis. Like these people can't write a budget and they're, they're going to let them inject you with like a cocktail of chemicals. Like never. It's insane to me that people are letting this happen, but you know, evolution, Darwin, right? Survival of the fittest. If they're dumb enough to let the, you know, Congress of all people like inject them, like I said, with a, chem- like a chemical cocktail, frankly, they deserve whatever comes their way. I hate to see, I hate to sound that way, but it, it really is sort of true. 
Yeah, it, it is amazing to me just how many people are perfectly willing to sit back, let the government just take away all of your rights, and then basically extort you to give you back a fraction of them. You know, it's like, okay, we'll let you leave your house if you do X, Y, and Z for us. It's unbelievable. Now in New York, they started with these, they're calling, and I love how they give them all these propagandistic names. So they're calling it the Excelsior Pass, right? Like, like it's just like, you have to make up some crazy name like that to get the slaves to do it to themselves. I mean, just like I heard to get into the garden now, uh, MSG, you need like, uh, to like scan like it's almost like like the nazis or something you have to like scan like a barcode or something it's crazy yeah yeah an app on your phone and I mean, and then next i think they're going to say is well you know what rather than having an app on your phone just you know we'll scan your wrist get that microchip yeah yeah i mean it's so it's so much more convenient you don't have to carry around a phone Not me. <laughs> it's yeah it, it's scary to think how quickly we went there too you know, a, a couple of years ago when that uh, that Black Mirror show came out and they basically had an episode of what exactly what we're living through right now. And it's just boom. Here it is in the blink of an eye. And and people almost asked for it to happen. They really did. Right. Like I was watching this um, philosophy lecture and this guy was like, yeah, he's like Orwell. Orwell had like a utopian vision. It wasn't a dystopian. It was a utopian vision because. Orwell and Orwell's nightmare of a human boot stomping on like a face forever. Like there was human faces and then there was like resistance. Like there is none of that today. Right. So like basically like government, like robots, like in like face shields, like, or, like masks. So you can't even tell if they're like a person and they're like, I mean, it's just, it's insane to me that, that, you know, shame on us for letting it get this far. Right. Could you imagine like the founders, if you ever told them that the state was going to be forcibly injecting people. Yeah. yeah, or just anything that's happened in the last year. Yeah, um, you name it. It and it is shocking how little resistance, especially when people's livelihood depends on it. Like, forget about just like being able to enjoy your life, but to actually survive. And and they're perfectly willing to just sit at home and wait for maybe a government check to come every six months or something like that. Well, in New Zealand, it was even worse. It was like. I mean, it was like hard lockdown. Like they found one case and like the entire city has to stay inside their homes. And I was reading things of like women who were like, my baby was crying for me in the other room. And like, I didn't, I just like, it was so heartbreaking that I couldn't go help my baby. And it was like, what is wrong with the world today? Yeah. Did you see those people? This was like a couple of weeks ago where um, like if you're, if somebody in their, at their school, a kid at their school tested positive for COVID, you were supposed to quarantine your child, it, like isolate them in their bedroom for two weeks and have like no contact with them. And people were doing it. How do you do it to a child? Like, that is child, a, like any other situation, the government would be taking that kid out of the yeah. house because it's fucking child abuse. It, it's it's good. And that, like, this is the shit that will fuck those kids up forever. And then they're going to turn into voters and then they're going to vote on my paycheck and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. The amount of damage we're doing to the youth of today is, I mean, who knows what, what the repercussions of this are going to be. And that's why I, that's why I tell people like opt out, right? Like, like, let's not pretend like there's like a there's like a top down solution here where we can work within the system. Like the system is cancerous. It's rotten to the core. The only solution is like to build competing institutions, right? Like, so they're going to make your kids to go to school. You're going to make your kids get like injected by like some chemical like cocktail well you know what homeschool your kids like build private schools that don't require this shit now like you see like the, with the vaccine passport 
one thing I think is interesting is that if companies like start to require this shit, like if you have to go to Walmart and you have to like scan your phone or something to prove that you've been vaccinated, then you know what? That's going to open an that's going to open an enormous business opportunity for someone like us to step in and say, you know what? Fine, I'll open up a retail store that doesn't require people to get vaccinated. I'll be the first person shopping there. I know half of the country would more than half the country doesn't would probably be interested in something like that. Yeah, I, I absolutely would. Although I get most of my stuff delivered now because I'm just too lazy yeah. to go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it is. And it's just, you know, that it's the camel's nose under the tent too. Like this is just the excuse that they're going to need to get something like this passed. And then who knows what they're going to do with it. And that's just how they, that's how the government operates every step of the way. That's, you know, that's how we got the we started with the smallest government in the world. We had the largest government in the world. We started with a no income tax and then just a 1% tax on the 1%. And now, you know, the, the poorest people in America are paying more in taxes than the Rockefellers were ever intended to pay. And like, like the, the frightening thing of it all is, is like, like what's going to come next? If I'm, if I'm right that like it's all an excuse to print money, then, and now like everybody's starting to get tired of this coronavirus excuse, like the thing that scares me is what are they going to come up with next? Cause they're going to need an excuse to print a whole bunch of money. Like this recently stimulus for 1.9 trillion. That's not going to keep the fed high long enough. Right. It's like, if you're like, if you're a junkie and you're going through withdrawals, like, and you just keep taking dope and keep taking shots in the arm, eventually like you're going to, you're not going to feel the effects of that dope anymore. And like, that's basically where we are with the stimulus money. So like, they're going to need to like, they just did a 1.9 trillion. The next one is going to have to be at least like three, four, five trillion dollars minimum. And what's going to be the excuse? Well, the only thing that they that could require like a huge, like increase in the supply of money like that would be like a war or something like that. And I, I could see them manufacturing like a real hot war and being like, look, we have this huge emergency. We have to print all this money. And it, it will be awful. It's going to be terrible because it will have to be like a major war. It can't be like, Iraq or Afghanistan, it'll have to be like a World War II kind of war. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly a fucking possibility. And then you know they're they're gonna shut down everybody's business. Like they'll make it basically illegal for you to work, but they'll send you a check. You know, and who knows if they're gonna come up with like a UBI or something. But when they have all of these other th- hoops that you have to jump through, like okay, you you don't get your UBI unless you have your COVID vaccine or unless you do this for us or your social credit score. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing too, is the social credit score. But like, that's how you become Weimar Germany very quickly. Very, very quickly. Yeah. And like, I'm afraid to go back. Like I'm, uh, I'm only allowed to be down here for six months before I have to leave the country or at least get my passport stamped. And so I'm supposed to go back at the end of May and that's like, when are they saying like May 1st is when all of these uh, vaccines are going to be readily available. And I, I'm just like, I'm worried that I'm going to get stuck there again. Cause I only plan on going for like a few weeks to tie up some, some loose ends in Chicago. And then I want to be back down South of the border. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Because I mean, even for those few weeks, you're, you're going to have to be like, you have to be on your, on your tippy toes because like, they're going to be like, you know, you only have to quarantine and you can't, you have to, you know, you, where's your vaccine passport, especially in like a big city, a big city like Chicago. It, it, it could get ugly. That's why I came to Florida. Is that where you are now? Like, yeah. Same reason as you came to Mexico. I just, I, I had to get out before it was too late. And I, I escaped um, 
like Manhattan, it's just the right time. Yeah. How long were you uh, born and bred in uh, New York? Jersey, Jersey. I grew up like five minutes outside Manhattan. Um, and I lived there my whole life. And like it was everybody like like hates on the city. I didn't mind it. I really liked it. But the problem is that like, OK, you have this high cost of living, which you can justify because there's so much to do. Like every night there's like and there's like five events for Bitcoin and like 3D printers and like anything you're interested in. There's like some sort of group doing it on that particular night. You really can't get bored in a place like that. But then when they shut everything down, it was like, well, why would I pay for this? Why would I pay all these like high costs of living if I'm not getting any, if I have to literally stay locked inside of my apartment like a prisoner? And I got tired of that pretty quick. And I was like, screw it. I had, to, I had a friend down here and there's no muzzles and you can have a gun and smoke weed and stuff. And the weather's nice. And there's beaches and girls and beer and seafood. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. A buddy of mine just moved down there for work actually last week. And uh, I, I'm like kind of jealous of him, but my, my setup here is is perfect. I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do it, but um, every day is just a fucking blessing. Yeah. There's no way that I could go back to the way that I was living, even if like they remove all of these restrictions and everything. Right. That regular, just like daily grind of the nine to five, like going into the office, taking the train right. and a bus, like it's, it's over, man. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I, I was, I was doing the same shit and I'm not playing that game anymore. Hey guys, let's take a second to introduce a brand new sponsor for the Pedaling Fiction podcast. I'm very excited to have them on board. I think the timing of this is is pretty good considering that Bitcoin is near all-time highs. The new sponsor is called CoinBits, and it's an app that you can download onto your phone. One of the coolest things about the internet is how easy it has made certain things that used to require a ton of time, effort, and knowledge. And one of those things is investing, okay? And CoinBits app has made investing in Bitcoin basically effortless. If you've ever heard of the popular Roundup investment apps like Acorn, CoinBits is basically that, but for Bitcoin. So what it does is it takes all of the the change, you know, when you make a purchase and it's, you know, $10.65, it rounds that up to the nearest dollar and takes that change and it automatically invests it in Bitcoin for you. Investing can be super confusing with deciding when to buy, how much to buy, and what platform to use. You know, I have no idea how to set up these wallets and everything like that. I'm technologically illiterate. CoinBits removes all of this by automatically investing your spare change for you on a weekly basis. The coolest part is logging in and seeing how much you've invested without even knowing it. You know, this is basically that spare change jar that we used to keep, uh, you know, in our, our, our piggy bank or on the counter, right? They, they take that and they, they put it into an investable asset for you. And basically what they're doing is they're taking advantage of an investing strategy, which is called dollar cost averaging, which basically means that instead of trying to time the market, you invest little by little over time. And you build in an average price and you're removing that overall volatility of the market. So I, I think you guys know my, my position on Bitcoin, but I think this is a very approachable way for those of you that have not been involved in, in cryptocurrency to sort of dip your toe in without taking too much risk. So if you want to take advantage of this and get your CoinBits app set up, go to CoinBitsApp.com slash fiction. That's coin, C-O-I-N, bits, B as in boy 
I-T-S as in Sam, app, A-P-P dot com slash fiction to get started right away and start rounding off that change and investing it in Bitcoin. The obvious disclaimer here is don't invest anything that you can't afford to lose. There is no risk-free investment or anything like that. So know your risk tolerance, know your um, your budget and everything like that, and proceed accordingly. I am not giving investment advice. I am not telling you to invest in Bitcoin. I am simply providing you with a way to invest in Bitcoin if you would like access to it. And I think I do think as far as investing in Bitcoin goes, rounding off your spare change and buying it a little bit at a time is probably one of the safest ways to do it. All right, let's get back into the show. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about the um, being your own bank. Are you into the uh, infinite banking concept at all? No, actually, I don't use that, but I know of it. And I know some people who do use it and they, they speak highly of it. Um, no, the way I do it is I, I use crypto for exchange and I use um, precious metals for savings. So I, I don't have any fiat currency. I'm, I'm only into uh, crypto at this point. And of course, like my savings and stuff, like I said, is in precious metals. But yeah, no, I don't I don't I don't hold fiat for not even like because I don't want to get robbed, although that's certainly part of it. It's really more moral reasons. I don't want to pay for the famine in Yemen. I don't want to buy Nancy Pelosi her next yacht. And I don't want to pay for Chuck Schumer's uh, lobbyists at Goldman Sachs. So I, so I'm not paying that shit. So I got out and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life because, you know, obviously I got in at the right time with cryptocurrency and it's sort of, you know, once you have some capital saved up, you can start your own business. And at that point you don't have to do the nine to five thing. Like we were saying, it really opens up a whole lot of doors, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, takeaways from this whole lockdown thing for me was just how important it is to have multiple streams of income and being able to just pick up your whatever business it is that you have and move it to wherever you need to move it to. Uh, you yeah. got to be mobile and you got to, you know, you got to be limber. Well, that's the whole, that's the whole thing, especially like when it comes to entrepreneurship and like <clears throat> being like a digital nomad is like the whole key is like, you want to be able to earn a living whether you're like in a big city or you're on a beach in Brazil. And I think like that, that sort of lifestyle, that's what Conkin was talking about. If you read um, the New Libertarian Manifesto, he like, it's very heavy on the entrepreneurship. All of Agora's writing is, but that book in particular, and I think this is what he was getting at is like that sort of freedom that you're, just, that you're describing. Because it's like, you know, we Agorists, we like, this is where we sort of depart from the end caps because we feel like wage work is sort of slavery. Like we really believe in the term wage slavery because if you work for a wage, even if you have a nine to five, then like a portion of your income is automatically being deducted by the state. And like the word for that is, is slavery, right? It's just a matter of what percentage is the slave master keeping. And like with an entrepreneur, it doesn't really work like that. You have much more control over your, your tax burden. So Plus, like, you know, you're free to like move around the world. You can travel. Although obviously now that's, there's, we like, you know, obviously it's a little bit more difficult now, but you know, you, 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 you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, really everyone's sort of an entrepreneur. It's just whether or not you have one client, which is like the company that you work for, or you have your own, you know, clientele and you yeah. know, 
there's the two types of people. It's the the people that are selling their time to other people. And then, you know, people like you who are probably buying other people's time. And it's, you know, that's the the most finite resource that we have. The most valuable thing is our time. And the only, the only way you can get more of it is if you can sort of farm out some of that stuff that you don't want to do or that you're not very good at and, and pay for other people's time. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's the whole, you know, that, that, that's, that's really the name of the game right there. Um, and like the other thing too, you said, I think is important is having streams of income, have as many streams of income as possible because you don't want to be reliant on one particular thing because that sort of makes you uh, a, a quasi slave, right? Because if you only have one stream of income and if they can shut that down, well, then you have to go back to your, you know, to wage working. I mean, that's not fun. Yeah, that, it's the riskiest position you can be in is to to have the one client, you know, and it's like a lot of people think that that this old model of the way things used to be where you work for like, I don't know, GE for 30 years and then you retire right. at 65 and get the gold watch or whatever. Like okay. that's, that's yeah. the safe route to do. No, no. I better that, that, now. Yeah. Oh, that's the other, you know, so I'm down here in uh, Puerto Vallarta and there's a, I, I'm at like a really nice place. I got a huge pool. And I see all of these like senior citizens, you know, that did that. They they yeah. worked their ass off till they were 65, 70. They saved up a bunch of money. They got a nice condo down here in Mexico. And now they, you know, they walk the pool for a couple hours during the day. They go out for dinner at 4.30 and they're in bed by nine. And it's just like, man, we have this whole fucking thing backwards. Like, why would I do that? I, I'd much rather sit in front of a fucking computer and click a mouse at 65 and be down right. here where I can, you know, I can go um, rock climbing, uh, cliff diving, spear fishing, yeah. uh, you name it, I can do it. And uh, man, the, the whole model is backwards and it we're just being herded like fucking sheep through this thing. And this, like all of this is so um, old and outdated. Right, like an eight-hour workday or the or the the forty-hour work week, like all of these things are such outdated models. Like the thirty-year mortgage, like this stuff is from like Franklin Roosevelt or even before. Right. So I mean, like at a certain point, if this all has to like go out the window, and that's one of the things I like about Agorism is that it like that's such a decentralizing effect. Like we stress the entrepreneur so heavily because we want to sort of decentralize that sort of that that, that way of making an income and like. To me, it's really sort of like a no-brainer. And like, obviously, Tim Ferriss has a great book called like the Four Hour Work Week, which I highly recommend everybody read. It's all about this. Um, but yeah, I mean, and there's another book too by a guy named Peter Drucker called The New Realities, where he talks about how, like, in the future, the main uh, commodity is going to be knowledge, right? And like, the majority of people will be like knowledge workers and like infopreneurs. It's like, that's where I, that's how I've tried to structure my business, right? It's like to be like an infopreneur about agorism and like at the same time, like, so I do like affiliate marketing, content marketing. I do like paid promotional uh, advertising. I also have like, obviously I have 3D principal burr and agora threads and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's the only, the only way to, if you really want to consistently be free, you have to work for yourself. It's the only way nowadays. Yeah. And, and do you put on like, um, I don't know, like webinars or like seminars where you teach people how to, how to go down that road. You know, I usually do it on, um, like, like I I do workshops and stuff, but like not, um, 
on my own. It's like I've been thinking about starting like a sort of like a school of agorism, but that's like a project for later on. I'm running a workshop at um, uh, there's a podcast called Living Free in Tennessee with with Nicole Sauce, who my uh, is one of my co-hosts from Unloose the Goose, and she's having like a, a big like conference at her homestead in Tennessee in April, and I'm doing a a workshop on like 3D printing and how to. I was supposed to be at Spearco's this weekend. He's probably mad at me. I haven't heard from him. He must be upset because I wasn't able to make it. And he, I was supposed to do like the same thing at his place. Um, and then if, and in April, there's a, there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of a food church, but I'll be doing like a, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if it's in person or virtual, but I'll be doing like a similar sort of thing about agorism at a place like that. But I don't have any like dedicated websites where I'm, I'm putting on webinars just yet, maybe in the future. And, and so I know you listed three, the three main things that people should do. And it, I, I forgot one. Of them yeah. it's be your own bank. It's uh, you know, get a 3d printer. What was the other one? And grow your own food. Grow your own food. That's right. So what, what kind of food are you growing these days? I'm not actually. So, so the, the, the thing about growing your own food is, um, you know, in someone in a situation like ours where it's like you're on the move and you're traveling, it's more difficult to to grow your own food obviously like i'm in a condo here in st petersburg so i don't really have like an outdoor area so what i do to sort of mitigate that is like i trade um i try to get my food as i try to source it like as locally as possible so there's a ranch about an hour from here um where i get uh, beef and pork from i mean like the, you pass the cows and the pigs as you're driving up to this guy's uh, ranch but there's like a citrus gro- a grove around here where I get like orange juice and grapefruits and stuff like that. There's a hydroponic farm close by here where I, I go there and I buy like greens and vegetables and stuff like that. So I try to cut out the USDA as much as possible and the FDA as much as possible. It's not always it's not always feasible, but I think like it's a good um, like if you if you if you're unable to to literally grow your own food, then I would recommend trading for it like i said as closely to the source as possible and i got that tip by the way from um curtis stone of the the urban farmer who i recommend everybody check out he's got a huge youtube channel where he basically teaches everybody how to grow your own food in like situations like like you and i are okay and so <laughs> i guess you don't have to um answer this question if you don't want to uh incriminate yourself but like what do you do wh- when it comes to paying taxes and everything like that well, this is an interesting one. I haven't paid taxes since two, I haven't paid federal taxes since about 2015, 16, something like that. And um, actually I might, I might start paying taxes again soon, not because like they're coming after me or anything like that, just because again, I was talking to a friend of mine, Spearco, and he was telling me how, I guess he's able to get, I guess when you own your own business and there's a certain way to file taxes, which obviously I don't know anything about filing taxes because I don't really ever do it, but I guess there's a way he does it where like you can get um, basically like free healthcare and health insurance and shit like that. So I'm going to look more into it, but I'm, I'm, I might end up actually filing taxes this year if that's the case, because I don't, I don't have health insurance. Not that I, you know, I'm young. I don't need to go to the doctor, thank God, but you never know what's going to happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what's, um, what's your like, plan i guess going forward like how are you going to navigate this um post covid yeah. pandemic world yeah so my what i'm focused on right now is i want to grow agoristics as much as possible i want to get it to be as big as possible 
Um, and right now I'm pretty comfortable here in Florida just because I think that it's like, there's less of a chance of all that like mandatory vaccine shit happening here. Um, I feel relatively confident that I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I don't have to, I mean, there's not even a, like a mask mandate here. Nothing is shut down. Like it's basically like normal life at, at this point here. You come across like some like communists, you know, every now and then like put a mask on and you just, you know, fuck off and go the other way. So, you know, it's it's definitely it's a lot easier to survive for someone like us here than it was back home. So my plan right now is just to grow the business as much as possible, see what happens. I, I like ultimately to probably wind up somewhere either in this area or um, I like New Hampshire. Okay. If you know if tomorrow everything went back to normal and I could travel, I would I would go I would go back to traveling. That's I, that's what I like to do. I was supposed to be like when all this happened, I was going to be in Bali, but. You know they have to stick one of those q-tips up into your brain and i said screw that so yeah yeah they're, they're doing that over here now too to fly back to the the states you got to get a covid test well it's not even mexico it's it's the u.s that's doing it yeah 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 so i'm i'm gonna be looking into the uh yeah. the old black market for covid tests as well i don't blame you yeah <laughs> um what do you think is going to happen with the united states in, in general, like, you know, are places like Florida just going to break off and, and do their own thing? Florida, Texas, maybe even California. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to break, if it's going to be like we're going to see the, the balkanization of the United States. But I do think that, that, that the banking collapse is inevitable. Right? Anybody who I think has a proper understanding of what Mises said and what Rothbard said about business cycle theory, I think you can basically like you, at that point you know that the shit's gonna hit the fan. They can't keep up this printing game forever. Eventually, like the game of musical chairs will stop, and you, it's up to each one of us to make sure that when the music does stop, we all have a chair. And I think the way to do that is to have real assets and to protect yourself. And <clears throat> like I said, you want to have gold, cryptocurrency, um, guns and ammo, um, also you know all sorts of things. I think you're, I think that there'll be a brief period of like sort of like chaos where I think you're going to need things like food and water and guns and ammo and things like that. So in, in the short run, I think they're going to keep printing money. They're going to pump up the stock market. You're going to see, it's going to look like we're wrong. It'll look like we're wrong, but that only means that we're right because you're going to see the price of gold and silver come down as they print and print and print. That bubble will grow larger and larger, but eventually it'll pop. And I think at that point, it's going to get really interesting. How the government responds, I'm not sure. I think that they can go a couple ways. Like they, they can say, look at all these terrible things that have happened. We need full on Marxism now. Or they can go like, you know, look what's happened. We need like Ron Paul style, you know, libertarianism. I don't think that's likely, obviously. The best case scenario, like you said, is like sort of balkanization where if like the federal government is unable to like, you know, hold court anymore, then you might get like the state of Florida to be like, okay, well, we're taking charge of like imports and exports and national defense and stuff like that. That's the best thing that could happen, I think. Um, I'm not that confident that that's going to happen. So that's like my medium term prediction. In the long term, though, I am confident. I think that in the end, we win. I think, you know, if you read Conkin and the New Libertarian Manifesto or Daniel Shulman's Alongside Night, I think it's going to play out like that. I think eventually the state will grow so large and oppressive that they're going to collapse under their own weight. And I think eventually we'll have a free society. I just don't know if I'll be around to see it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, just looking at it, I mean, it has to blow up at some point. I mean, if it was just this easy, right? You just run paper through a printing press and give it right. to everybody. Like this whole thing would be simple. There would be no poverty. Okay. There'd be no well, Zimbabwe or, you know, Cuba. Everything would be, you know, hunky dory all around the world. And I just exactly. don't understand why more people don't come to that conclusion. I know. And then like the politicians act like, like they've just figured this out. Like, oh, we finally figured out that if we just have helicopter money and negative interest rates and quantitative easing, and like they just slap on all these different names for money printing. It's like, this has been tried, guys. Rome tried it. Like the Byzantine, every, all these different empires throughout history have tried it. And every single one, every, every, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of Cypheding the most, but in the book, The Bitcoin Standard, in the first half, I, I like monetary history that he, that he has in there. And he basically says like, societies that print money are basically losing wealth to those societies that aren't. So groups of people that that transact in inflatable currency are basically seeing their their wealth like being leached out, and that 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 wealth is being transferred to those who use sound money. So like if you want to be on the receiving end, not the losing end, then you have to become your own bank. Yeah, well, that's the other thing too. You 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 see all these politicians like the Bernie Sanders of the world complaining about oh back in the seventies only like. Uh, you know, the 1% only had like 10% of the, the wealth and now they have like 30%. And she's like, yeah, it's almost as if you guys printed $8 trillion last year, um, closed down every small business, gave money to people to go spend at all these large corporations and, uh, you know, threw out a bunch of, you know, a couple trillion here and there to the big bankers that, you know, pump up some stuff. Like the thing is, like, like you said, they, they, how many, like, look at the bailouts that were given in 2008. And they say, oh, well, why are the corporate CEOs so rich compared to the rest of us? It's like, well, because you bailed out Wall Street and not Main Street. Like you took our money and gave it to them instead of giving us our money back. Right. You, you just got to let them fail. And it's it's always amazing to me that the same people that are, um, you know, harping on this, the, the, the wealth inequality and everything like that are also going to come to the defense of like, you know, the airlines when COVID right. strikes, we got to bail out, you know. Delta, like, how, like, like, how do they pick like their business and not your business? Like, how do they like why like Goldman Sachs and not Three Prince of Gober? You know, right. what I mean? like, <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, we have to have air travel, and it's like, yeah, okay, but it's not like the airplanes are going anywhere. Um, <laughs> they're just going to go bankrupt, and then somebody else can buy it up and and, and turn like, it into a profitable business. Airlines is like a particularly frustrating example too because. They would never be able to, I don't think they could afford to, to get away with these mask mandates if we weren't bailing them out, right? If they had to, if these mask mandates were accountable to the market, they would never stand. But they don't care that guys like you and I don't fly because they got all that bailout money. Who cares if Salme whether he's not flying back up to New York, you know, to see his sister or something? Because guess what? You know, uh, we got that bailout money last March anyway. Screw yeah. Salme weather. Right. You know, it was funny. I was flying um, from here to Cancun, just to take a little vacation from my vacation last year. And um, I'm, I'm on this plane. It was Aero Mexico, which was the only airline that you could fly, basically. And there was some electrical problem on the plane. And so we're sitting on the runway for like two and a half hours. And the, you know, it's a hot fucking summer day in Mexico. And um, the air is cutting in and out. 
nobody's moving. And then all of a sudden, you know, like after 15, 20 minutes of that, everybody was taking off their fucking masks and fanning themselves with the magazines and shit. And it was just like, we're just sitting in a Petri dish now blowing everything around. It's unbelievable. I bet you, I bet you the people go off the plane and put the mask back on. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. The, the, they, I mean, it's they like, you know, I mean, the terminal. how brainwashed does one have to actually be? Yeah. Yeah. So do you, um, before you went down to Florida, were you, when did you actually make that move? Um, September, somewhere around September. Okay. So were you, yeah. were you partaking in this, the lockdown at all? Like, were you wearing a mask uh, around there? You were finding ways around it? Yeah, I didn't wear, I haven't worn the mask yet. I've never worn it. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I, in New York, it was, it was still like the earlier days. So if you like, the way I did it was I shopped locally. I knew like um, this little bodega that was like right around the corner for me. It was basically like a little small grocery store. They, they knew me. I've known them forever. So they obviously didn't require a mask. The grocery store in my neighborhood didn't require a mask for me. Um, you know, I had a couple people who like a few times it got interesting. Like I had like a, um, one guy at Verizon. <laughs> like I walked into the Verizon. I had my someone with my phone. And the guy was like, as soon as I walked in, he's like, he like, you would think like I've just walked in with, you know, a gun on me or something. To rob <laughs> like, he's like, get out. You have to leave. You have to get out. You have to get out. And I was like, <laughs> like you know, take it easy. Relax. <laughs> I mean, they really are like sort of crazy, but you know, it's, it is what it is. And, um, once it got to the point though, where it was like, I didn't want to leave my house and like, you, you like, you didn't like, you like, you like feel like, like a literal prisoner. That's how I felt. Um, I was, I was already to the point up in North where I couldn't leave between four and seven because it was just traffic. It's just a sea of traffic. So those three hours are already lost. And now for the rest of the part of the day, you have to be in a muzzle or you're waiting in line to get into a store. You can't go to a bar. The bars were closed. The restaurants are closed. And it was like, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm not playing this game with them anymore. I took my business and everything I own and I came down to St. Pete. Yeah. Yeah, man. That That's, uh, God, I, I still can't, I can't get over the fact that um, people with business like brick and mortar businesses are putting up with this shit. Like even, uh, where I'm at in Mexico, uh, this is like a big holiday weekend for here. It's like the week before, um, Easter and th they keep doing this stuff. Every time there's like a big holiday, they, they don't shut everything down completely, but they limit the hours. So they say like, you know, a few months ago, all the businesses had to close at eight o'clock at night. And now they're doing it 11 o'clock at night and the beach closes at five. And I just can't believe that that people um, are willing to be jerked around like that, especially when your entire livelihood is on the line. I'm, I'm not sure it'll go, it'll last that much longer. Like right now, like the way they're getting away with this is this stimulus money, right? I mean, in New York, they said to Cuomo, Emperor Cuomo, they said, um, he told everyone, don't pay your rent. Right, stop paying your rent. So one of the one of the reporters was like, "Well, if you don't pay rent, like who's gonna like who pays like the bank to pay the mortgage?" He's like, "Oh, well, that's where the Federal Reserve will have to step in." And it's like, so now you have a, a state governor demanding that the rest of the country have their savings accounts inflated to pay for his shitty policies, and like that's the way that they're getting away with it now. 
Um, they're just sort of like inflating away everybody else's savings account to pay for this shit. And it's, it's, it's a criminal action, but eventually like they won't be able to do that. Like eventually we'll have to stop. It can't go on forever. And so how do you think we can get more people to sort of resist this type of thing? Because, you know, I saw a few days ago, I actually talked about this on maybe my last podcast where in Germany, you know, they tried to Angela Merkel tried to lock everybody down for um, for Easter and, and the people just weren't having it. And so she had to she had to, you know, take that back and apologize. How do we get more people to like? Because all we have to do is in unison, just resist and just we're not going to do it anymore. And that's, you know, uh, it should be a lot easier to do that, in my opinion. But like, how do you get more people to to see things the way that we do? So I think there's a couple of things here. I don't think I'm not confident that we can convince people through logic and reason anymore. I, I, I mean, I guess I should I should temper that a little bit because I, I do think that people are susceptible to reason and logic. but I think after decades and decades of public schooling and indoctrination and brainwashing, that the majority of the public has been like really dulled down to the point where they're willing to accept a lot of this stuff. The way to stop it is not to like convince these people verbally. I think the way to stop it is to be the example for them to see, for them to witness, right? Like if people see you living a normal life, you're saying that guy is not, how many times have we heard the story like, or maybe your listeners can relate. Maybe like you're, you walk into a grocery store and you don't have a mask on. Somebody sees you who does have a mask on and they just take it off because they feel ashamed. That's what it is. They feel ashamed that they're, that they're a slave and you not being a slave makes them realize their chains. So I think like, you know, and that's a big thing about agorism is that you should, you should really lead by example, right? Like be free, let people see you living free and that will make that will cause them to want to live free also. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really good point, actually. <laughs> I, I've never felt um, more embarrassed than when, um, you know, like a few months ago, I had a friend here and we were walking down the street and we're outside or the beach rather. And she puts a mask on and I was like, oh, God. I'm the guy that's with the person walking down the beach with a fucking mask on. And it was fucking humiliating, man. I, I, I've never been more embarrassed. <laughs> I, I don't This is part of the reason why like, I don't hang out with people anymore. At least like, the ones I do hang out with at this point are like, I'm, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't do the muzzle anymore. I don't like hang out with people who do muzzles. I don't, I just, I, I, I've got, and it, I've basically structured my entire life around the concept of freedom at this point. Like, I, 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 won't, I won't date girls if they believe in universal healthcare at this point. Like, I have like strict standards now. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah, it's hilarious. Like I'll be walking down the beach and you, you see like this hot chick from behind or something and you're like, oh man, she's fucking hot. And then they turn around, they got a mask on. You're like, ah, oh, she's retarded. <laughs> no thank you. Yeah, no thanks. It, and and it, there's it, nothing it just, more unattractive than like obedience. Yeah, and it's just, there's it's so weird how it divides people. Like even just within your own family, you know, like I have three sisters and like some of them are like super paranoid with the mask and some of them not so much. Uh, one of them has been vaccinated. Like it, it's just bizarre yeah. the, how it divides people. Yeah, I was on with um, Keith Knight from the Don't Tread on Me show mm -hmm. uh, just a few days ago. And he was saying how obviously Keith is like full-blown anarcho-capitalist and his sister is like, like state communist like marxist and like he was telling me like how thanksgiving dinner goes at his house and i can only imagine you know 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, at the risk of her actually listening to this, I had to lie to my sister over Christmas because she was pregnant and she was like super paranoid about me flying back and uh, being around her without a mask on. So she's like, I want you to wear a mask while we open presents inside. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a fucking lunatic. And she's like, well, can you at least like, will you at least quarantine for a week before you, before you come over? And I was like, okay, sure. I'll change my flight till tomorrow. I'll fly back and I'll sit at home for a week just so that you will come to Christmas and bring uh, my nephew. So my parents can see their grandkid. And then, yeah, I just flew back. You're a nicer man than I am. Oh, I didn't actually do that. I just told her I would. (laughs) I flew back the day before Christmas and then I drove right over there and um, it, it worked out, but man, yeah. Just sitting there, she's sitting there wearing a mask, opening presents, and it was just so fucking bizarre, man. Crazy, yeah. crazy. Anyway, um, I don't know. We're we're kind of coming up on time here. Do you have anything else you um uh, you need to bring up? Anything you want to plug? Well, I mean, obviously, like to plug, you can just go to southigoras.com. Um, I have all my stuff there. Three different to go over and um, agorathreads.com. But I think like <clears throat> just um, like in the context of what we're talking about, I guess for the listeners out there, the one thing I'd want to, the one final thought I want to leave them with, because we've been talking about like coronavirus and the vaccines and stuff like that. Don't, don't be afraid to like be the, be the odd man out. Like don't, like if you are in a situation where it's like all of your friends and family are wearing masks and they're getting vaccinated and they're talking about coronavirus, like don't be afraid to be the guy who like stands out and tells them no, because that's the only way that it's ever going to change. If, if everybody is obedient and compliant, then, you know, it'll, the government will never relinquish this amount of power. It's only going to come if we, if we push back a little bit. And like I said, it, it, you know, it only takes one person to start a domino chain effect. So. That, that's a very good point. I, I have to fight that urge myself like this whole time. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go through the hassle of, you know, everybody fucking yelling at me or something yeah. like that. Cause I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And yeah, yeah, we just have, we have to each on an individual level, resist it and show other people that um, there's another way to live. That's the whole key because, you know, the thing, and this is what we, one of the aspects of agorism is like, you, we're not here to change the world, but like, we're not here, we're not here with the purpose of changing humanity. The goal is to change you as an individual. And if like that collectively will change humanity. So it's like change starts like with you, with you, with the individual, with the person, not with like any particular group that you may or may not identify with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. And that, that is probably the best path to getting more people to adopt this uh, sort of lifestyle is to lead by example. For sure. All right. Well, man, this was a blast. Um, I'll I'll have you on any day. Um, You know, we should do it again soon. Thanks for coming on. Email. What's that? Yeah. Sorry, you're breaking. Send me an email. I'm always down to come on. Yeah, I guess I guess we can uh, wrap up on that, ladies and gentlemen. Sal, the agorist or agorist. (laughs) I got to get that Chicago thing out of there, huh? Uh, Mayweather. Uh, Follow him on Twitter. What is it? Sally or uh, at Sally Mayweather on Twitter at Sally Mayweather. Check out all his stuff and um, be the change that you want to see in the world. I don't know uh, what else to say. Sounds good to me. I like that. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, That was Sal the agorist. 
agorist. I don't know. I, I can't, it, agor, it, the ad just comes out of me at this point. I, I've been out of Chicago for about eight months now, but um, the, uh, the old accent's still with me. I got to work on my Spanish too. But anyway, what a, what a cool guy, man. I had a great time talking to him and I can't wait to have him back on um, to just, I don't know, shoot the breeze. I, I find what he's doing pretty interesting and uh, has a very good insight into things. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that because I sure did. And it's always less work for me when I don't have to do any show prep whatsoever. I just have to put on a nice blue shirt, my best linen shirt that I have and uh, talk to some pretty cool people. But anyway, we're going to wrap there for today, guys. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And that's, that's all I'm really going to ask of you guys. Um, other than, you know, joining the private Facebook group, like I talked about at the beginning and, uh, getting in on these Friday night happy hours. If, um, if that's something you want to do, it's, you're really missing out if you're not. So follow me on Twitter at pedal fiction. I, I really want to get my numbers up. I mean, Sal's got like almost 80,000 followers. So give me that fucking follow. Give me like, you know, a fraction of that share the wealth. <laughs> it turned into Bernie Sanders all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. And if you guys can do that for me, I will be back later this week with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. <laughs>